Loving God, we pray that we would be attentive to your word, our ears would be open, our eyes would be willing to perceive and to understand. We pray for your spirit, not just to enlighten us, but to go deep within our own being, into our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would create in us clean hearts with a desire to honour you, to worship you, to seek your life-giving pathways. And we pray this in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. Well, throughout most of the year, since the beginning of February, we've been exploring this uh, enormous topic of God's mission plan as it is revealed in the scriptural narratives. And in particular, we've been using the phrase of shalom, peace, healing, flourishing, harmony, wholeness that is to be found in the sanctuary of God, in the presence of God. And just to give you a little heads up of where we are going today is that the sanctuary of God is located by the time we get to the New Testament in us. We become the sanctuary of God, the body of Christ our bodies becomes the place where God dwells and where those qualities begin to show our fruitfulness. But today I want to, uh, I've got one minor point and two major points. This is the minor point. I want to bring to your attention a word that is in serious danger of being lost from the English language. And that would be a great shame. The word is earnest. Now, I'm not talking about the more popular way when people are very earnest in their desire to do things, sometimes with an implication that perhaps they may be a bit naive in their earnest nature, but they are very serious. I'm talking about the historical origins of the word earnest as a guarantee, as a pledge, as a down down, uh, payment. It's a bit like when you uh, may take a a loan out at a bank and you ask for someone if your own financial situation might be a bit perilous, to be your guarantor. In the old days, they would become your earnest. You would actually make a pledge and be committed to it. But that phrase isn't used as much these days. When we think of earnest, I tend to think about the importance of being earnest. That wonderful... uh, 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 Frivolous play by Oscar Wilde, The Importance of Being Earnest. And in particular, this version was just delightful and a lot of fun. Uh, Ernest is a character in that story um, who doesn't know from whence he came. He was found in a basket in a station somewhere. And part of it is a gradual revelation of who his uh, parents uh, are and so on. Well, I'm not talking about Ernest in that sense, but I'm talking about Ernest in a more profound sense of uh, God's pledge to us. This amazing uh, long sentence that we've been exploring over the last three weeks, one sentence starts in verse 3 of of Ephesians 1 right through to verse 14. Um, it, It is so long that our translators break it up to make it a bit more digestible. But Paul has been talking about the mysteries that would otherwise not be known, but God has pulled back the curtains and we can now behold them and glimpse them. 
We don't see them in full, but what we see is so encouraging and life-giving that it draws us into that space. And this verse has been telling us a bit more what lies beyond that curtain. As we've been reading the, uh, this long sentence, and I've been reflecting on it in the last few weeks, it brought to my mind the image of a tapestry, a tapestry that is woven together out of a whole range of different threads. And whilst it has its own particular qualities and, and uh, um, components, if you like, of the tapestry, there are some threads that hold it together, that bind it together. And there are threads that, that uh, bind together this long sentence that Paul makes. Now, I know you can't read the detail that you're not expected to, because we've been looking at it the last few weeks, so hopefully it comes to mind anyway. What I'm highlighting, and it actually goes over two slides, this one long sentence, that talks about every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, in him, through Christ, in the one, in him, in Christ, we go over the next page, still the same sentence, under Christ, in him, um, in Christ, in Christ, in him, <laughs> about 11 times by my count, this mystery that is now revealed, the mission of God and God's purposes, has been brought about in, through, under the person of Jesus. He is the great thread that holds it together. But there's another phrase that it comes out in it, and this phrase occurs three times in this one sentence. The first time is the middle one there, I've highlighted a little bit in italics, talking about this uh, work of God that has been revealed now through Jesus in accordance with God's pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. And in the second half of the sentence, it comes back on two more occasions. Uh, we put our hope in Christ that it might be for the praise of his glory. And then right at the end again, Paul comes back to it. At the end of the verses we're looking at today, uh, the deposit, the spirit that has come, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I'm going to come back to that phrase right at the end, but I just want you to see it there, how that's also one of the threads that have been woven through this amazing uh, long sentence of Paul. So today we're going to focus just on the last two verses of that, verses 13 and 14. And as we do so and we focus on the coming, the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to try and explain everything the Holy Spirit does and how it fits within God's mission or purposes because the rest of Ephesians does that. There's a lot more that Paul was going to tell us about the Holy Spirit in coming weeks. But here I just want to focus on the presence of the Holy Spirit and what an amazing thing it is. And I want to do so in a more evocative way by using a couple of pieces of artwork. Um, this is one piece by a Canadian artist called Emily Carr. Anyone heard of Emily Carr? I'm quite sure, yes. <laughs> Our Canadian friends certainly will do. And I encourage you to, to uh, explore Emily Carr. She wrote, she wrote, she painted in the late 19th century, early 20th century. A remarkable woman. 
on Vancouver Island in the city of Victoria. And uh, this is one of her artworks that Fiona and I were able to see. She's got a gallery, a whole section in the gallery in, in Victoria that you can... Uh, it's just stunning work. But this quote in particular is what the reason I'm using her artwork. Um, she writes this in reflection at a, a later stage of her life, but she wanted to, to bless the two painting masters, she said, who first pointed out to me, yet raw young pupil that I was, that there was coming and going among trees, that there was sunlight in shadows. And that captured her imagination. And so a lot of her artwork looks at forests that otherwise would be dark and foreboding and something that you might want to escape from. And she says, as I stopped and looked, it was right that where there is shadow, there is also light. And when we begin to recognise the light in and through the shadows, we see something, a whole new dimension emerges. And so a lot of her artwork is giving expression to that the, uh, the energy, the, the brightness, the hope that moves towards us and draws us into that space. We want to get closer to that, that light that emerges. So something of that is what I want to pick up in our reflections today. So the two verses that we're focusing on. And you, you also were included in Christ... When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now notice, first of all, the word you, or more accurately, use. (laughs) It's in the plural. We've been talking about a great work of God since the beginning of creation. We've talked about how throughout the ages God has gathered together an ancient people of Israel and the people who gathered around Judea and all the others who are part of God's purposes. And now Paul says, and you are part of it. You are now part of this great work of God, this mission of God. You were included in Christ. Can you hear that? You are included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, when you, the gospel of our salvation, when you believe, when you are marked with him. Receive a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now Paul's been talking about every spiritual blessing, but now he's he's reaching the capstone, if you like, of this great sentence and putting that seal in place is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. It worries me that the language of the Spirit has dropped out of our Christian conversation so much. We hear lots about words and texts, and the Bible is certainly important in opening up the mystery of God's will and purposes. It's, it is uh, so central to our faith and the foundations it lays. But it doesn't stay with reading a word on a page. That word on the page or how we hear it needs to enter our hearts and our minds, our whole being. And it is the Spirit who conveys it and makes it a living word that speaks to us here and now. It also causes a concern, a bit of a cringe factor when I see occasionally some events advertised about, you know, come and receive the Spirit as though we can book an appointment with the Spirit. 
and I'm going to push a bit further beyond that. But for now, we need to recognize that this is no less central to God's purposes. This is not an optional extra, but this is vital to our hearing and receiving and being drawn into this work of God. So the verse continues, and this is now the end of Paul's long sentence. The Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is where I think the word earnest needs to come in. Who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? It's actually saying, this is absolutely assured. This is my pledge. I stake my life on it. God is saying that is what has been given to us through the spirit of our receiving the gospel, receiving salvation. Don't you feel sometimes as though others have the spirit and I'm missing something? It's a very common Christian experience. And what I think Paul wants us to do at this stage, and it's going to be the focus of our reflection, is not to be looking so much at other people but recognising what we actually have in our own life, in our own space, in our own world, this deposit. So the ancient word earnest, it's a bit like a wedding ring or an engagement ring, should I say. An engagement ring was given in earnest. It was given as a down payment, as a pledge, as a vow that is given. And that is how God has given the spirit to us. So two reflections on this. And again, I'm going to use another piece of art. This is a piece from Gustav Klimt. um, And it's one I discovered last night when I did a quick Google search because we have this on our wall in our bedroom, Fiona and I, and we just love it, this piece of art. And it draws me, it speaks to me in a very spiritual way. Um, Apparently he did a whole series. There's about seven that he painted around this beech grove. It's a bit like Hans Heysen who uh, revisited his muse of the gum trees and he's got multiple versions of that same sort of outlook. Or Klimt has this of a beech grove painted in autumn. I haven't seen uh, Klimt live. I'd love to do so. Kath, in our 830 service, has seen some Klimt and said it's amazing qualities to it. But what I like about this for Klimt is that uh, where I look out at autumn and see a whole bunch of leaves gathering on the ground, we see it a fair bit at the moment in the rectory, um, my, my spirits don't soar. I look at a bunch of leaves that need to be raked up and to be disposed of in some way, which is a challenge. Klimt looked at that same scene and he saw a richness and a beauty and he brings out that colour, that quality of autumnal quality with a richness that otherwise could have been a, a fairly dreary picture of that grove of beech trees. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to see things that we would otherwise miss. But we can be so uh, on the move, so busy in our routines that we don't stop and see those things. So I said that the uh, rediscovery of the word earnest that I expect to hear in St Matthews now for many years to come and a whole movement to break out about this wonderful word, um, that was the minor point. These are the two major points. This is what I really do want us to reflect on. First of all, when we look for the work of the Holy Spirit, we should do so 
in and amongst the stuff and substance of this world, not so much that other worldly dimension. When Hollywood tries to do things about the, the spiritual realm, it tends to go into that weird otherworldly space. And that is not what the Bible talks about in the Spirit. The Spirit is in creation. It came into being through God speaking into the, the stuff of this creation. The spirit that's spoken of in Ezekiel is given into the flesh and blood reality of our bodies, into the world in which we, we, are, we can touch and see around us. So don't go looking for the otherworldly dimension. Look for the spirit in this world. For me, it's when I, I sense the, the wind and the breeze growing in strength when I sense that the warmth of the sun, I, I perceive in that a reminder that that is how the Spirit is present amongst us. So that's the first point. The second one is to see the Spirit in the ordinary as much as the extraordinary. Now, some of the works of the Spirit are extraordinary. Pentecost was extraordinary. That's why we are told so much about it. There are other episodes that are extraordinary. But we should not forget that the Spirit is present in the ordinary as well. There's a book that I've, been, I've read a while back and um, I tried to chase the quote down over the last few days and I haven't traced it down, but I'll give you my version of it. It's by a, an English bishop, John V. Taylor. He was actually the General Secretary of the Church Missionary Society in the UK for over a decade. A number of you might know Ben Wood, um, John, Bishop John V. Taylor is Ben Wood's granddad, grandfather. Um, and there's a great recent book around um, uh, discovering mission through the uh, writings of John V. Taylor. John V. Taylor spoke of an occasion when he was travelling to London towards one of the endless rounds of meetings that he had to attend to. And you'd think travel on a train going towards the the city would not be the most energising of processes. You know, it can be fairly stultifying. But he recounted a moment where the train came to a standstill for a moment and he looked out the window and he saw a scene, something like this. He saw a, a, a scene of trees and others and it suddenly occurred to him. He said it was one of those momentary revelations that has stayed with him. Those trees are alive. They are part of a living world. They are communicating with me. They are bringing me energy. They are engaging to them, calling me to relate to them in many ways. And so he actually then uh, wrote a book called The Go-Between God where he describes the work of the, the Holy Spirit as the, the way in which God engages us with us in just as real a way. Seeing the Spirit in the ordinary as much as the extraordinary. So do I get drawn to advertising things that says if you turn o'clock at 4pm on a Sunday in this tent then you'll be discovering amazing you know, work of God? I'm actually a bit sceptical about that because the work of the God is not so much for platforms and there's a, something as a spectacle. It's something that's embracing us all the time. It's ever-present. And recognising those moments, those moments where God gives us that nudge to go and speak to someone, to follow someone up, to make that phone call, to ask, are you okay? 
those moments in which we sense that God wants us to make a different direction in life. Those moments we recognise that these choices that we're making are not good choices and they're proving to be destructive and I need to turn away from them and go in another direction. Those moments in which we experience the, the sense of beauty of the world and we can uh, draw a deep breath and thank God for life and health and safety as we did in our great Thanksgiving this morning. All those moments, whether it's the stillness where God says to us, it's okay, I'm here. You can take a deep breath. You can let go. All those moments where God says to us, it's time to get up, it's time to go out the door, there's some things to be done, there's some people to engage. Whether it's those moments when we see people who the rest of society writes off as of no value, those of intellectual disabilities, those who may have... um, made some decisions that have caused damage to their life and have made a mess and people will just write them off. When God allows us through the Spirit to see people who can be redeemed, who can see the seeds of faith to be watered, how words of encouragement, of support can bring transformation of life. That is all the work of the Spirit around us. So my summary is that as we reflect on this long sentence, it basically encourages us to let God be God. Because God is actually an awful lot better at being God than we are. So if we're feeling a bit stressed in our life because we're trying to manage everything and do things perfectly, God sort of says, well, you're not God. More specifically, let me break it down, as the sentence has drawn us together, Let God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let that God be God. Because where we see the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together, dancing together, being in mission together, it is glorious. And how should we respond to that? Well, Paul has told us three times in this sentence, and he finishes it with it as well to the praise of his glory. When God does what God does as Father, Son and Spirit, it is glorious. It is breathtaking. It is awesome. It feeds our hope. It assures us of God's love. And it draws us back to the richness of those two simple words we started with. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ promised, sealed, given in earnest through the Holy Spirit. I want to finish with a prayer from someone who's a bit of a spiritual giant in my life and I know in others as well. His name is John Stott. He's a wonderful character who uh, went to be with the Lord a few years ago now. And we actually had an opportunity to host him at a, in the rectory next door when he visited his last trip to Adelaide. Uh, he attended John's birthday party. We know he was here on that date and did it beautifully. Fiona has one little anecdote to tell about how the spirit strengthens John Stott and uh, just the, the way in which it gives work before I've, we're going to finish with the prayer. But Fiona, you want to give that anecdote? 
Well, as Tim said, we were very privileged to have John Stott and, and Dr Chris Wright stay with us in 2007. And uh, some of you may have attended uh, that event. Well, <laughs> I uh, some of us gathered uh, to pray with John and Chris before the event in the t Adelaide Town Hall on one particular rainy night. And after we'd finished this prayer meeting, I was tasked with the job of um, guiding John Stott to through this uh, labyrinth of rooms behind the scenes at the town hall uh, to where he was to speak at the front. Now, I don't think anybody in that group except for Tim knew that I'm what I call geographically challenged. I have a GPS in the car, but it doesn't, I don't have a chip in my body to help me. Needless to say, um, we got a bit lost and I thought trying... Uh, he was so gracious with his lovely twinkling eyes and uh, was being led faithfully along by me and I was trying inwardly not to cat catastrophise and think the whole event depends on me getting the speaker to the front here. The, the whole thing's going to fail because of me anyway. We eventually found our way through these rooms, got him to the right place and he at that stage was becoming a little forgetful. His health was becoming more frail uh, and Tim and I can still remember that feeling of when he stood in front of the microphone and got up to speak to these hundreds of people, it was, we could almost see this infilling of the spirit and it was quite magisterial and we all, I just sat there stunned listening to the strength of his words in what was only God uh, delivering through th this remarkable man. So that's our story. <laughs> The Spirit very much at work and evident in the richness of uh, John Stott's life and ministry. This is the prayer that uh, John Stott used every morning. You can find it on the internet if you just do a Google search, John Stott's morning prayer. I'm oh, happy to give copies of it, but it's just so rich. And you'll see how this summarises this long verse, this long sentence that Paul has been using. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you as Saviour, Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Holy, blessed and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy on me. Amen. I just love that phrase about the Spirit causing your fruit to ripen in my life. In that spirit, let's now...